1: Tennis, swimming, lacrosse, whatever you need me to play, I'm gonna go do it. If it's some money on the line, I'm gonna go do it. You like it? You think Cleveland's cool? I mean I never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna uh, not a game. Not a, not a, not the game that I go out there and, and die for.
2: Alright, we want to welcome on to the pod, yet again, old friend of the podcast, Caitlin Cooper, Indie Rose writer with SB Nation.
3: Caitlin, yes. how you doing? How's the summer been? It's been good. It feels like it's been a minute since I talked to you guys. This has been yeah, a while.
1: you're right. You're right. It has been a little while since we last talked to you. And you've been dropping some heat as it relates <laughs> to Pacers content. I just want to let you know that first and foremost. I've been paying attention. <laughs>
3: Thank you. There wasn't a lot of reason to pay attention to me last season. I feel like here in the last few weeks between the eight and offer sheet and me writing about Tyrese, there's been reason to talk about the Pacers. But for about six months, I was getting a little bit dusty on the show.
1: (laughs) Tyrese, the the Tyrese stuff is where I really was paying attention uh, to for real, for real. If I'm being honest, I really love the Tyrese Hallenburden work that you've put in.
3: Thank you. That that was a lot of work. So I'm happy that people enjoyed it.
2: Mm-hmm. He's going to be a big part of the team this year too. Yeah, I mean, he's got. A, yeah, I'm yeah. sure, like he's the guy that Pacers fans are like the most excited about right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that they're pretty much pushing him forward as face of the franchise. I mean, as soon as they acquired him at the deadline, they referred to him as their franchise point guard. In The future, they've made allusions to Andrew Luck and Tom Brady. So. Uh, this is how they're, they're putting expectations on him. That's, that's
2: kind of high. That's, that's high. How, uh, how do you feel about them doing that?
3: <laughs> um, well, I will say this, that like when you compared when Tyrese played his first game with the Pacers and after seeing how the offense looked with the, fire, the prior starting lineup with Malcolm Brogdon running it, the way I would term it is Malcolm Brogdon can find the open man. He can run offense. They'll be helpful to the Boston Celtics. But it was like when you first get glasses for the first time when you're watching Tyrese run the exact same plays that Brogdon was trying to run. And what you see in that article that I wrote last week about his jump passing, like how much he can actually shift defenders and make people pass them open, is different than what you saw from Malcolm Brogdon. So, I mean, in my lifetime, and now this is going to sound like hyperbole, I do think he's probably the best point guard that I've seen play for the Indiana Pacers since I've been watching them. So Mm. I don't find it completely. I think that's what, you know, Rick Carlisle and Kevin Pritchard were getting at in terms of them finally having a guy that they think can be, you know, a true point guard for them is what they have. Nice.
2: So you talked about DeAndre Ayton and that was the whole fiasco where the Pacers signed him, Sun's match, so he's gonna be going back to Phoenix. With that happening and with obviously the off season starting to wind down with the training camps coming up in like a month. What's what's been the off season like for the Pacers?
3: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's over, does it? I mean, they're one of two teams with cap space yet. I mean, they're being linked to stuff with Russell Westbrook. They eight and stuff happened. It doesn't really feel like the off season has fully um, started for me yet. So I don't know how much of a vacation there's going to be, but – um, yeah, when the Aiden thing happened, I think that that was the right thing for the Pacers to do. Obviously, it was only about a magical two minutes in time where he was a Pacer before the Phoenix Suns matched the contract. But, I mean, they haven't really been a player in restricted free agency. I think here in the recent past, they've only signed one guy as a, as a restricted free agent, which was Chris Copeland, who the Knicks weren't really planning on keeping around. So, I'm um, showing that they were willing to make an adjustment and be amenable there and I really do think that Aiden and Tyree Halliburton could have optimized each other in a lot of ways and that you know if you have a chance to go after a top five top seven guy at their position I think it would have been malpractice if you don't do that so now it kind of is managing the fallout of that I mean because you have Miles Turner still on your roster he's entering a contract year and you just went after you know an upgrade at his position so what type of relationship management are you going to have to do there? And, you know, he's also been mentioned with regards to the Lakers as well as potential with, you know, Westbrook and Picks. And I don't know how interested the Pacers are in that from their perspective, but um, that's kind of the main talking point around the Pacers right now is what's going to be happening with Miles Turner, I think.
1: And that leads up to this next question. Like, what do you personally feel like they should do? Because he's been been on and off trade blocks, I I would say, the last two to three seasons. And so it's like they don't really know. It's kind of unknown for real, what they want to do with Turner. So what do you think they should really do with him?
3: Yeah, I mean, before the eight and stuff even kind of popped up, there was already some reporting from, I believe it was Mark Stein at a sub stack, had said that Miles didn't plan on signing an extension, at least this offseason. Now they have through next season where they could still do it. But in my opinion, like you can't risk letting him walk for nothing. And I don't think it's completely without risk. Like, on the one hand, he didn't finish last season because he was injured. So if he comes back and he re- can recoup some of his trade value, because if we look at it, like, it doesn't seem as though the Phoenix Suns were interested in doing a sign and trade where they could have saved money let the Pacers have eight and and they could have taken Miles Turner back. It also doesn't sound like the Brooklyn Nets were all that interested in Miles Turner. So if his trade market isn't there right now, there could be some value for both sides, bring him back, let him recoup some of his value. That's similar to what they did with Victor Oladipo a few years ago. I mean, he didn't play very well in the bubble. Didn't look like himself. They brought him back. He did play well for 10 games and they were able to trade him for Karis LeVert, who now they've since flipped Karis LeVert as well, but that's better value than they most likely would have gotten if they had done that deal in the summer. So there's that side of it, but I don't think it's completely without risk for the reasons I just said that, you know, he did finish last season with an injury. He finished the prior season with an injury. If he gets hurt again, there's that. And then there's also like, I think that there's always been some caveats in Miles Turner's career where you've been able to point to things like, well, you know, when he's not being coached by Nate McMillan and popping to two anymore, maybe he's coached by Nate Bjorken or maybe he's coached by Rick Carlisle or, you know, when Sabonis isn't out there at the five anymore or, you know, when he's playing with a better point guard like Tyrese Halliburton, like, it seems like all those he stars needs so are... so much
1: to be perfect for him. That's what yes. it sounds like.
3: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's like there's always a caveat. And in some regards, it seems like all the stars are aligning. And I do think that he can probably produce a little bit more than what we've seen in the past just because I believe in Tyrese that much. Hmm. But at the same time, what if that doesn't happen? Like if, if if he's finally playing at solo five under Rick Carlisle and Tyrese Halliburton's the point guard, and he doesn't make a leap, then the rest of the league is going to know that too. The Pacers are finally going to know it, but other prospective suitors are going to know it. So um, I think that's probably why they've still been somewhat in the mix with, you know, the Lakers and the Russell Westbrook conversation. And two, like, what is the goal for next season? If it's for them to, you know, grow their young core and open up playing time for guys like Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith and, you know, Terry Taylor, O'Shea Brissett in their front court, along with, you know, Matherin and Tyrese Halliburton, and you're hoping that maybe you're going to get a top pick, then maybe you don't really need to have Buddy Heald and Miles Turner on your roster. So maybe you're better off getting more bites at the apple in the draft and getting what picks you can get now.
2: Interesting. So do you expect him to be a pacer by the end of the season?
3: Well, it seems like there's been some indicators here lately that both sides think that's probably in their best interest. Rick Carlisle was at his basketball camp in Dallas. Um So it seems like there's been some effort there. And then I think Miles Turner kind of shot down on Twitter a rumor that he wanted out of Indiana. Um I think he had like some pictures of caps saying like, Oh, that's, that's not the case or something along that line. <laughs> so it kind of makes me think that they are, that both sides are thinking that this is in their best interest. Cause I mean, even from the Pacers perspective, I mean, he's a human being. I think that you probably have some feelings when your team goes after Deandre Ayton in the way that they did, but he's entering a contract year. So he has every reason to go out and perform. So um, there might be mutual benefits to having him remain on the roster at the start of the season.
2: So the Pacers have him. They have a lot of young talent around him, too. Uh, I'm sure you've you've watched him and you've read about him. Who are you most excited about from the young talent? Who who should Pacers fans be excited for from kind of this crop of young guys that's, that's going to be a big base to this team?
3: Yeah, it's kind of a clean slate in a lot of ways, right? So, I mean, Tyrese, number one. I mean, at the back end of last season, after they acquired him from the Kings, his number's Pretty you know stellar, what I mentioned before about his ability and his playmaking. If people want to read the jump pass article, you'll be able to understand what he does for them in terms of running mm-hmm. offense. But mm-hmm. but um what I would say is that he only led the Pacers three times in field goal attempts after he was acquired. And you gotta remember that like Miles Turner did not play with Tyrese, TJ Warren didn't play, Malcolm Brogdon only played eight games. So to a degree, he was deferring to guys who like, and this isn't me trying to be derogatory, but guys who are on G League contracts, two-way contracts to an extent, Buddy Healed. Um, led the team in field goal attempts several times. And then when he was in the games with Malcolm Brogdon, which I think is in part why they decided that it was time to move on from Malcolm Brogdon in those eight, like his usage rate dropped a lot in the minutes when Malcolm was out there. So he'd go from having like a 20 usage rate, which still isn't high enough for where he needs to be to like a 16% usage rate when he was playing with Malcolm. So I think what the Pacers need to do and what they've set themselves up to do is see, you know, can this be our guy? Can this be a number one option, especially with the types of people that surrounding him with I mean if you look at Benedict Matherin you look at whether they'll be starting Buddy or Chris Duarte Jalen Smith Miles Turner those are all guys who mainly source their usage from spot up situations and are going to spread the floor for him so you know how much will Tyrese be willing to not be quite as deferential because I do think that there's a balance between that I think that his teammates really enjoy playing with him because he definitely plays with an inclusiveness in his pass first but you know, you get into an overtime game against the Oklahoma City Thunder and Lance Stevenson has taken five shots, five jump shots in the overtime while Tyrese is passing the ball to him. Like that can't be the case moving forward. And that's what the Pacers need to <laughs> Yeah. That's what the Pacers need to find out. Like, is he gonna be somebody who can be a closer that we can throw the ball to that's gonna be willing to look for his own offense more often? And if not, like are we gonna be able to find that guy in the draft?
1: Okay, so with Benedict, tell me how you feel about him and then also you just brought up Lance so how do you feel about a a Lance Stevenson reunion and (laughs) it's always Lance and then Benedict how do you feel about him you think he'll be prepared to go against LeBron
3: (laughs) yeah I mean I wish I had as much confidence as Benedict at literally anything like I wish I approached articles and stuff with that degree of confidence where I'm like you know LeBron's gonna have to prove that he's better than me um but yeah with Benedict I mean going back to the pre-draft process I felt pretty confident that's who the Pacers were gonna select I mean him coming out of Arizona. They run a very NBA-like offense at Arizona under Tommy Lloyd. Some of the actions are identical to what Rick Carlisle runs. In terms of him being an off-ball shooter, that's something Rick Carlisle really values in having shooters that can come off screens. And then in summer league, you know, he showed the ability to score at all three levels. I mean, his handle was a little bit shaky at Arizona, but he got into the paint, snaked his dribble, scored against contact at the rim. Also, like, you know, found his own shot two-point step back a few times in isolation. So, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited there. And I think that he's going to mesh really well with Tyrese. I mean, he's a very intuitive cutter, Tyrese's eye manipulation. I think all that's going to pair really well. And it's also going to put the ball in Tyrese's hands more. Because when you looked at the splits, like, and this is, you know, not completely comparable, but. The Pacers almost outscored opponents, which is saying something with Tyrese and Buddy on the floor, because that was not a good basketball team. By comparison, they got outscored by like 17 points per 100 when Tyrese and Brogdon were on the floor together. So in terms of an archetype, Benedict is a lot closer to Buddy Heald. Like, in some respects, Benedict's like a really athletic Buddy Heald. So to have him, plus he runs the floor really hard in transition, and that's really something that Tyrese wants to do. Like he wants to get the ball and get it up the floor quickly off makes or misses. And Benedict's definitely going to run the floor with him. So I think that's another trend that you can see from this Pacers roster that they've really tried to upgrade the athleticism, That you know, even if they're not going to be a great team, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch and, you know, stuff that you haven't really seen from the Pacers lately, like just a fun statistic. Isaiah Jackson last year had 19 completed alley-oop dunks. That's more than the last two Pacer teams combined. The Pacers have not had that many alley-oop dunks since the 2013-14 season.
1: That makes sense. You know who that's Paul George and and the, and the crew. <laughs> Lance Stevenson was on that team too.
3: <laughs> Back at Lance again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I mean that and and Isaiah Jackson only played like 540 minutes. So that just goes to show that like between him, you know, Kendall Brown is somebody else they drafted. My guess is he'll be on a two way contract, but another really athletic guy who can get out and transition and run. Um, get some half court sets for him to get lobs as well It was kind of stunning sometimes watching them in summer league where they could make cause some blatant mistakes on defense and they were just so athletic that it didn't matter like well I haven't seen something like that from the Pacers in a while like that they can make mistakes on defense and still correct them because they have such a degree of closing speed and and wingspan and so that's that another be- trend
1: is that a usual style of play for Rick Carlisle to get up and down the floor? I feel like it's, that's not no, really. Hit no. the custom. And
3: that that's why it's going to be interesting to watch because after the Pacers acquired Tyrese, there was about a four game span where their transition frequency, when you looked at cleaning the glass shot up, like they were, they were around like 13th, I believe. And then as the season went on, it kind of trended back down. So I think the last time Rick Carlisle had a team that wasn't like bottom 10 in transition frequency was like seven years ago. And mm. to, to a degree like in Dallas, you can kind of point to like Luca doesn't really play an, an up-tempo style. Like he likes to slow it down and make his own decisions. In some degree that's Malcolm Brogdon too. Brogdon liked to play a more methodical style than what Tyrese does. But um, you can also tell from the sidelines that there's a lot of play calling from Rick Carlisle. And sometimes you could tell that he was managing the pace from the sidelines and telling guys like, hold it, hold it. So, um, okay. it's definitely gonna be something interesting to watch. I mean, I think that this is kind of an organizational push and they talked about wanting to upgrade and be able to get up in the open floor. So my guess is that Rick Carlisle's on board with it, but we'll see if they can implement it fully because they didn't finish I think by the end of the year in their transition frequency they were still like twenty third, so mm-hmm. um in terms of how many plays they were getting in the open floor.
2: So we're gonna have faster pace. Seems like they're gonna be a little bit more exciting, a little bit more fun. What what should people expect from the Pacers this year? Is this a team that's going to be trying to get a high draft pick? Is this a team that's <laughs> going to be trying to make a push for a playoff spot or a playing game spot? Where does it seem like they're trying to fit in for this season?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the difficulty even for me to project because you look at last year and they finished with 25 wins. And the only two teams in the Eastern Conference that were worse were Orlando and Detroit. And, like, on the surface, if you told me right now that Detroit or Orlando finish with a better record than the Pacers next year, I don't think that's completely out of bounds. But when I look at their roster, I think that they could be they could be plucky. I mean, I think the schedule isn't everything, but I'll be interested to see how the schedule falls for them. Because maybe if they can okay. get off to a decent start and it's a little bit easier slate, that helps them. Um, it also will depend, like, I don't think necessarily that Miles Turner and Buddy Heald are going to add a lot of wins for them. But, you know, are they going to trade them? What would they trade them for? Like if they do trade them for picks, then, you know, I think that you're definitely all in on rebuild, get the best pick possible next year if they're still on the roster, maybe you're kind of hoping you can squeeze into the play in tournament. That feels like a little bit of a stretch to me though, Mm. you know, just comparing other teams ahead of them (laughs) to their, to themselves. You know, I think it's probably reasonable to think that maybe Charlotte has some slippage depending upon, you know, does Brooklyn go nuclear? If they do, maybe they have some slippage, but I can't like readily point to teams that I think are guaranteed to be worse than the Pacers. That doesn't mean that they might surprise us. They could, But if we look at the end of last season, the one thing that I would point to is they lost the last 10 games of the year. And I think some of that was them trying to improve their draft position. They were sitting guys out, but like they played the Detroit Pistons at home. And in the fourth quarter, the Pistons sat Sadiq Bay. They sat Killian Hayes. Cade Cunningham didn't play. Isaiah Stewart didn't play. Meanwhile, the Pacers were playing their starters. They were playing Tyrese and Buddy they were full court pressing. Like this was not the actions of a tanking team and they lost that game.
1: <laughs> well, so to a degree. Ain't tanking in that regard. <laughs> exactly.
3: So like when you watch that type of context, it's like, okay, like even if they add miles and, and buddies playing, cause buddy was playing in that game, like how much better are they reasonably going to be from where they are? And I think that this is the type of year that they can be experimental. They can find out exactly, like I said before, how much Tyrese is going to give them. And also, maybe meet their goal in a very good draft of what I'm hearing from the top of that class. I haven't really explored it myself, that right. you know, you could kind of double dip and, and get both goals. Develop guys now and also get another guy to help you next year.
1: All right. You go to that final question. You know it's all about you and what you believe. You <laughs> personally, it's all about you. What is going to be your bold prediction for this Indiana Pacers team, either good or bad, coming into this next season?
3: Oh, wow. I could probably have a couple. I think I, – I actually remember what my bold prediction was last year, and I think it was that they would trade two or three of their starters by the deadline, which they ended up doing. Yes. Um, if, 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 my, if, if Miles and Buddy on the roster, I think that they will trade at least one to two of their starters by the deadline because I'm just not expecting Miles to sign an extension before then. So that one. I also – here's my other bold one. Tyrese – will be at least in the conversation as an all-star next year. Ooh. People will discuss it. I, I don't think it improve. will.
1: improve. I thought she was going to say most improved, but she said
3: all-star. Well, that, that's actually kind of interesting. I didn't actually think of that. But, yeah, I think that he could be in the conversation as an all-star for next year. I don't think their record's going to reflect it, and it seems like coaches a lot of times tend to lean toward winning with their reserve selections, but I think he's going to have a big year.
2: There we go. Nice. nice. Two hundred. We'll go two for two. Hopefully. Two for yeah. Oh two yeah. Seasons definitely in a row, go two for two. Full predictions. Because because Miles
1: could probably get moved. So that one that one. Yeah. Uh, you might have to give us another one midway through the season.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Anytime, I'm happy to come on here. Anytime you guys want me. Absolutely, we love having you on,
2: Caitlin. Appreciate it. Where uh, where can people find your work and uh, what have you been working on and on Twitter as well?
3: Right. So my handle's at C2 underscore Cooper. I'm still at Indy Corn Rose, which is the Indiana Pacers blog at SB Nation. Um, most recently, I wrote a piece called On the Aerial Exploits of Tyrese Halliburton, which was tracking all of his jump passes so people can go read that. I have one other Yeah, I read
1: piece. that. You should check that out if you haven't checked that out. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I
3: have another piece kind of in that vein that I want to get to, but it's also pretty tedious, so I'm hopeful that it will get done by the end of August. but I I don't quite know yet, so I don't want to say too much.
2: Okay. All right. Perfect. Leave us hanging. I like it. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Caitlin Cooper on, on Twitter. Caitlin, appreciate you uh, talking with us.
1: Yes, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And here we are. Back at it again, right? We're back at it again. More previews. More previews. More team previews. And this time we are talking to off-season O. Omari from the Detroit Free, Pet, Free Press talking Detroit Pistons. How you doing, man? How you feeling?
0: Doing good. Uh, Enjoying nice. the off season. obviously, as my name implies. But, you know, i got a few weeks here, and then I figure uh, things just start to wrap up as some stuff across the league happens. So definitely trying to enjoy the downtime now.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, because there's going to be some excitement down there in the D, man. It's, it looks like it's getting exciting. They got, the, they got some jerseys that we're going to talk about, so it looks like it's going to be exciting. But what I want to do is I want to take you back. So I want to take you back around March of this past season, and I want you to kind of describe to me what did you see really from this team in terms of growth from March up until from the beginning of the season?
0: Sure. I think a uh, big thing for the Pistons last season is that they were they were hurt early on. So mm-hmm. even, even with full health, uh, just when you have a number one pick who's a rookie and uh, the team's so young, you're probably not going to be a playoff team, but. Uh, Jeremy Grant was hurt. Uh, Kelly Olenek, who they uh, signed to a pretty decent deal over the offseason that was going to give him some depth, was also hurt. So a lot of the young guys got thrown into the fire that I think uh, by the time March came, uh, which is a weird time of any season because some some teams are uh, starting to shut down in preparation for the lottery or uh, some teams are starting to rest guys for the playoffs or whatnot. Uh, But I thought we really started to see Kate Cunningham uh, come on a lot stronger. Uh, it seemed like he got better as the season went on. Uh, Sadiq Bay, he had an early season snup, slump that he snapped out of. Uh, we even saw Killian Hayes put together some, um, pretty good games that we hadn't really seen from him early on. So I think just from a growth standpoint, you definitely saw the team begin to come together uh, as the year went on. I should also mention Marvin Bagley III, who came in at the uh, <laughs> trade deadline. Um, as soon as he came, then, uh, it just, Probably just timing-wise, like I wouldn't say it was 100% Marvin, but uh, he really did find chemistry with Killian and Cade immediately. And um, the 20 or so games he played, uh, his numbers were pretty healthy. And uh, it seems like around the time of his arrival, which was right at the trade deadline, things began to click for the team a a bit more. So that gives him some momentum, I think, going into this upcoming
1: season. Now, this is my guy right here I'm about to bring up. EMU, former EMU head coach, Rob Murphy. No, you know the name you know he's trying to climb the ranks into the front office roles in Detroit Pigeons tell me how how well of a job he's been able to do with this uh transition for him
0: for sure uh Rob he came in um as the, the the team was bringing in the Motor City crews which um they uh they play at a new arena at Wayne State uh pretty much right in proximity of their practice arena and of the uh main arena uh so Rob he was he was brought in and He's been friends with Troy Weaver for um, probably two decades. Um, Rob was the assistant uh, coach at Syracuse who replaced Troy uh, when Troy made the jump to the NBA. Uh, so there's just a longstanding relationship there. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, he was a successful coach at Eastern Michigan. Uh, Detroit Tires winning race here, and Detroit's coach here in Detroit. Um, just really a D- Detroit basketball guy through and through. And um, when Troy came in, uh, like any GM, you're gonna bring in people that you know, people you trust, uh, people you think are smart and talented. And you know, Rob check those boxes so he came in. Uh he was president of the cruise last season, uh, and then this off season got promoted to assistant GM, but he'll still be deeply involved with the Crews. But uh for him just uh a long time coming. Uh just um the path he's had going from college to the NBA is similar to the path that, that Troy had and um to see that that friendship kind of lead to this, I think, was very natural.
2: Looking at the offseason now for the pay, for the Pistons, you've got Jeremy Grant gone, but they bring in Jaden Ivey from the draft, the Purdue star. Uh, that's kind of two of the bigger moves that happen. How would you assess their offseason in general? It seems like, for the most part, it was a pretty positive offseason. I think it
0: was positive. I think the word I would use is safe. Um, which is still good, you know, which I think is still good. I think you look at this franchise in the past, uh, when they had cap space, uh, they went out and got a big name and, um, oftentimes it didn't really pan out the way you would want it to. Uh, so for this offseason where, um, they come in, they leave the NBA in cap space and just not, I mean, as far as the free agency class, it wasn't the strongest. Uh, there's talk about right. them pursuing DeAndre Ayton, and, and as we saw, uh, Indiana ended up being the team that ended up having the max space to give him that max offer, and Phoenix ends up matching. Uh, you know, I think the Pistons, uh, their draft I went a lot better than probably anybody would have guessed uh, for not only Jaden Avi to fall to them at five when he was almost universally considered, uh, but top four pick. You had people who thought he deserved to be top three or even top two uh, for him to fall at five, wow. and then you were able to get Jalen Durant at thirteen, um, who was pretty widely considered to be a lottery pick. Uh some people were, may have been a bit higher on him, but he was another player to piss is considered at five. Uh, so to get him eight picks later and to essentially not to have to give anything up, uh, because the Jeremy Grant trade uh opened up additional cap space, he could leverage that in different ways, I think. Uh it was really good use of that. Uh so I would say it's safe, uh, just in the sense that uh, I think they they did get better. You had two more lottery picks, uh, you know, players that you can certainly build around. Uh, you bring in Alec Burks from the New York Knicks, who you observe into your cap space, and he's a career 38% shooter. Uh, shooting was one of their big, biggest weaknesses last season. Um, both Alec Burks and Ernest Duel who also arrived from the Knicks, um, uh, the, uh, they're on team options next year. So the Pistons can take them both off the books. So you maintain your, flex, your cap flexibility for next season, uh, which I think was a priority. They went that flexibility going forward. Uh, I think it's safe just in a sense that they ended up prioritizing flexibility, didn't do anything uh, super fancy, uh, right. something that, you know, maybe with speed, their rebuild rebuilt time lined up, uh, but they're investing more in just developing the players that they've already mm-hmm. brought in. Uh, they've now had six first round picks since uh, Troy Weaver took over in three years. And uh, they're just doing this, this, this step, like very slow and very steadily. Uh, so um You know, I know sometimes fans, like, they want the big splash, they want the big name, they want something to be excited about, but, um, you know, I think, you know, this is my personal opinion, I think a lot of times teams spend money because they have it and they feel like they have to, and then you look back and uh, it ended up not really working out, so, uh, very safe offseason for the Pistons, but I think overall, uh, you know, instead of them just going for a big name because they had the money, they decided to keep their flexibility add more assets. And, um, 2023, you can still make that big move if you want to. So they're just sticking with what they have rather than looking for outside ways to get better.
1: I expect Cade Cunningham to take a leap in his second year, you know, year two, but who else on this team do you expect to take a leap or even hit the ground running? That are going to be, that are newcomers on this team.
0: Absolutely. Um, I would say uh I think Jaden Ivey uh, coming into a situation where you get to play next to Kay Cunningham. Uh so you know of course Jaden Ivey was probably the best athlete or one of the best two or three athletes uh in this entire draft. Like a leap first step, possibility to get to the rim should uh, translate from day one. Uh if he shooter, if he passer, uh maybe not a pure point guard, more of an off guard, uh, for him to be able to be paired with a player in K uh, who is your primary playmaker, uh can space the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for Ivy personally, you probably could not have come up with a better uh, backcourt fit, uh, simply because I think K's type of player that could fit next to anybody. Uh, but that's going to help Jaden a lot, you know. I think from from day one, uh, okay. so uh, you know, I think it's really tough to project rookies, especially rookie guards, who um, just the NBA is just such a different game. Uh, but I think there's a chance for Ivy, uh, just given that he played for a Purdue team that. Um, maybe wasn't the best fit for his skill set given that they always played with bigs and uh, maybe the spacing wasn't where it needed to be. Uh, I think he could come in and just really, I think, just keep things simple and uh, just get to the cup uh, even if the shot's iffy, even if the passing gets there every night. Uh, just his athleticism will uh create a lot of havoc on the floor and I think that uh he could really come in and fight an immediate role uh, even if he's still going to go through the rookie uh struggles that all rookies go through. Uh, so I'd be for sure And uh, this guy isn't a newcomer, but Sadiq Bey I thought had a really good sophomore season where he kind of shifted more from 3 and D to um, more of just a a primary creator type. Uh, His footwork was better Uh, just getting to the cup. Um, Passive struggles early on, but got better as the season went on. So it wouldn't shock me to see him uh,
2: make a leap in his third year as well. You've named a lot of young guys, so let's let's pull out the (laughs) scale here. Let's go 0 to 10. We'll go 0 is no hope at all. Time to time to root for a different team. Ten is, all right, I'm ready. I can see this team winning, at, at least competing for a title in the next five years. Where should Pistons fans' hopes kind of lie with the team going into this season?
0: I'll put it like out of six. Uh, I think okay. with young guys, there's always like things can still go kind of one way or another. Uh, some players will pan out the way you want, or, you know, there's injuries or um, you have a cap situation where you're swinging a trade or bringing a player in and maybe that doesn't, um, you know, mess with your timeline as well as you would hope. Uh, with that said, I think any team that has a number one pick, uh, the expectations naturally go up. And Cade was a, a player coming in that a lot of people saw as a sure thing. Like this guy is absolutely going to be a star. Uh, you may have, uh, some debate about where his ceiling ends up, but his floor is extremely high. Uh, so I think that automatically puts the franchise in the place as it's been in, um, in a long time to have a guy like that come in. Um, you know, five of the first round picks, uh, you know, Sadiq, Isaiah Stewart, um, uh, become two of the better players from that 2020 class, both drafted outside the lottery, uh, Isaiah in particular, just being a small ball five, uh, two last season, we really saw him, um, be able to switch on the smaller players, uh, defensively, I think he's going to be a perfect fit, you know, for the playoffs, you know, if and when they do become a playoff team. And, uh, we saw him shoot the ball towards the end of last season in the summer league as well. So if he can space the floor, I mean, that's another guy that's going to raise your both your floor and your ceiling, by a lot. Uh, they still have some big boxes to check. Uh, you still need a second star in to k, Maybe that's Ivy. Maybe that's Darren. Uh, maybe that's Sadiq. Um, all you can do is project at this point. Uh, six feels right. Six feels right. I think you just look at the roster up and down, the young talent. Um, obviously, still need some pieces, but any team that drafts this many guys in a short amount of time, I think uh, you could probably feel pretty good saying that within five years, they're at least going to be a playoff con- contender, a uh, championship contender, that's no, a little bit tougher, obviously. <laughs> a little too fast. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but to me, six feels right. And depending on how the season goes, I think, you know, if the guys have put up the way you want them to, maybe that goes up to a 7.5 or an 8.
1: You mentioned two players that I want to touch on that's on this Pistons team. One, Marvin Bagley III. He came over from the Sacramento Kings. And the other is Killian Hayes. Do you feel like there's going to be a dilemma and that they're gonna to have to make a decision with Keelan Hayes because of the backcourt and with Marvin, do you think they'll be able to keep him long term? Well, do you think they would want to keep him long term?
0: I think so. They um so Marvin they they signed him to a fully guaranteed uh three year deal this summer. And he was a player that Troy Weaver um had his eyes on for a while. Uh still believed in obviously a former number two pick, athletic. Uh, brought some things to the team last season, just from a size and a better sense standpoint that mm-hmm. they didn't have previously. Uh, so he went from being a bad fit in Sacramento to being being a pretty good fit into Detroit, and I think that kind of factors into why they fully guaranteed him about three years rather than a team option okay. uh, toward toward the end, because they saw how quickly he meshed in with Kate. Um, and it really did just open the floor just from a, a vertical spacing standpoint. Uh, it made everybody's life a little bit easier. Uh, Killian, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that for a seventh pick, you probably want to see a little bit more uh, than what he's done so far. Um, it hasn't been a full two years for him just because of the injuries. He had the hip injury. uh true. The season that cost him, uh, like, maybe a third of the season, and which was a shortened season anyway because of COVID. And then uh, last season, he just kind of had injuries here and there. He had a thumb injury. He re-aggravated the hip. Not the same hip injury, but – uh, he missed some time last year too. He's still pretty young. He's just turned twenty one a couple weeks ago, so I don't think he are okay. ever gonna write off a twenty one year old point guard, uh even right, if they right. kinda have struggled. Uh you know, but <laughs> that's you know, that <laughs> uh, breaks, okay. <laughs> Uh he'll be extension eligible for the rest of the twenty twenty class, uh, this time next year. And um, when he was drafted, uh, the defensive didn't have any young playmakers. And in the time since, they've kind of lucked into getting both Kate and Jaden Ivey. You know, so now you have two guys who kind of the ball and, um, you know, and Killian is probably being, you know, in more of like a role player uh, role just because he is good defensively. He's a good passer. Offensively, he needs a lot of work. Like he's got to be able to get to the cup a little bit more. You want to see him improve as a shooter uh there's some work that needs to get done. So this is a big season for him. Uh, obviously, he's playing for an extension now, so there's a uh, big yeah. motivation on his part, you know, let alone been able to stick in the NBA. Because uh, we've seen defense first guards thrive in the NBA. But true. But you have to be an absolutely terrific defender and do a lot of intangible things, too, to stick around um, if you're not going to be able to put the ball in the hoop. So um, this some stuff Killing has got to figure out. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Pistons are giving up on him. Uh, they're still going to develop him, still give him time to figure it out. Uh, but at the same time, it goes without saying, if you, if you have Cade and Jaden and Ivy, you already have two young playmakers who are, yeah, that's why a, I a lot it's, of money. It's, it's Make or break um, here for him. Yeah. You know, maybe you're looking at it as, um, Killian a good player to have defensively and whatnot, but we're going to have to pay a lot of these guys coming up, you know, mm-hmm. every, like, and everybody's not going to get paid. That's just, you know, like it's impossible, I think, to pay, uh, six fir- first round picks and also still have enough money left over to do everything else. So uh definitely a, a big season for him and uh, he's gonna have to show a little bit more than these shown so far
1: are you pleased with the teal are you down with the teal we keeping it real with the teal i know you it real with
0: the teal keeping it, <laughs> it real with the teal i um god yeah you know, like for like i understand why the teal jerseys are so divisive like uh, people like my parents who grew up watching the bad boys and uh, to go from, uh, the best era of basketball and Pistons history to the era with Grant Hill and Jay Stackhouse and a lot of promise, but just because of injuries and mismanagement and this and that, it didn't really come together. And on top of that, you changed from the classic red, white, and blue jerseys to teal, which is very much of his time. I get why <laughs> they don't like them. Uh, not my parents specifically. I think my dad actually does like them, but just people who grew up in that era. Um, but I'm 28, you know, so those were, when I started watching basketball, watching the Pistons, you know, I was like, Six, seven years old. And that was back in 2001. You know, that, those were the jerseys that they were wearing at the time. It so was, yeah. my view of Till is completely different. You know, I was born literally like a week after Isaiah Thomas retired. So like, I really have no overlap that era at all. <laughs> uh, and to me, I just see Till, I see nineties, you know, like Grant Hill was cool. Like yeah, to me, it's just, it's just cool. And also it's just very much of like this time in a good way because you don't really see Till anywhere else except but on jerseys, right? Like, you know, a couple NBA teams, Adam the Grizzlies, Adam Hornets.
1: uh, Yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, we talked about that, right? Yeah, yeah. we talked about that in Vancouver jerseys.
0: Yeah. And it's just very much a sports thing. So to me, Till's cool. Uh, When the Pistons brought him back, in my mind, I'm like, okay, like everybody my age and younger is going to be a fan of them, and I think they're going to sell really well. Uh, But they also got a lot of hate. Like I saw, you know, some Problem with sports personalities. Wow. On that Twitter, wild. And that they suck. <laughs> and I don't know. Like, I think they're cool. It's going to be divisive. It's going to generate jokes. But to me, it's just pretty obvious that they're extremely popular.
2: If you don't like the teal, no, why you watch your basketball? Yeah, wild? wild? Yeah, they wild. Why wild? Because, like, like you said,
1: there ain't too many other teams out here with that jersey, yeah. that jersey color. I mean, you might have the Hornets now, but that might be more of a lighter blue as opposed to a teal. So, you know. So only yeah. one teal. <laughs> only one teal. All
2: right, finishing it out, uh, bold prediction time. This is for you. What what would be a bold prediction that you could put on this Pistons team? It could deal with personnel, trades, how they're going to finish, what they're going to do during the season. What are Do you have a bold prediction for this team?
0: Bold prediction. I'm always really bad with bold predictions because my bold predictions, like I say them, and then it's like, actually, that seems pretty positive. Pretty normal. Like, anybody actually have <laughs> Yeah, like maybe it wasn't bold enough. Uh, hmm, let me think for a minute. Let me think for a minute.
2: Because this could be, you know, maybe yeah. like trades or maybe someone – wins an award that people didn't expect to win, or someone leads the league in a stat. It could even be w- whatever you want it to be. Julian Hayes, maybe. does it
0: make the roster next
1: year?
2: <laughs> yeah. Whatever you think it'll
1: be.
0: There's <laughs> a boat winner. Maybe it's not that boat, but I'm going to say, I think every year we see a guard uh, who was drafted, like in the top half of the lottery, who starts really slow to the point to where it's like, oh, like did they make the wrong pick? And then like they get you get to like late February or March, and then they just start playing like a star and I'm going to say J- Jaden Ivey is going to insert himself into the rookie of Year race very, very late. And it won't be like a, I, I, I like is, okay. that, is, is Is that, is that bold? Is that, does that reach yeah, the right it bonus level? Okay. okay. Yeah, I, like I like it. it. Yeah, no,
2: I, like I think it. that's good. And okay. we check okay. the odds
1: on it too, we might really like it.
0: Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I think he starts though. And there's going to be question marks. Like we saw the Trey Young and Anthony Edwards, like, okay, like all the red flags we saw might be true. Like we don't know if he has it. And then, we're going to get back from All Star break and it's just going to be a completely different player. That's my that's my pr- pr- prediction. I think um, Jaden Ivey's last six weeks are just going to blow his first fourteen or whatever away. Okay, I like
1: that. Yeah, all right, all right. All right. there we go. go. That's all a right.
2: good one. That's, the, cause
1: right. that's different too, and it's different. You know what
2: I'm saying? Different, he's, unique. You know,
1: in the later part of the year, he's going to be yeah. considered. I like that thought process. Omari, hey. man, Detroit Free Press off season. Oh, off season up. on man. Off season. Oh, it was good to have you. On this podcast, tell people where they can find your work, man.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can find my work at the Detroit Free Press. That's freep.com, F-R-E-E-P.com. Also, follow me on Twitter uh, where you can see uh, I promote all my work and also tweet about better cost, law, and food and other stuff. So uh, <laughs> that's first and last name, O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A.
1: And now one more thing. I'm pretty confident you guys got a podcast.
0: You want to you wanna plug that too? Yes, I also do have a podcast as well. Uh, that's called the Pistons Post Podcast, uh, which I record with Bryce Simon, uh, who's a former Division One basketball player and uh, has been in the podcast game for a while now. Uh, so that's the Pistons Post on Spotify, uh, we're on Apple, uh, Google, wherever you find your podcasts. Nice. And follow Bryce as well. That's at Motor City Hoops.
1: There you have there it. You know. Covering the Detroit Pistons on the beat off season. Oh, Omari, bro, we appreciate it, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me.